Our gracious God, we thank you for uh, this time together uh, in Sunday school, time together as a congregation, our time together in your word. We ask that you would bless our time, help us to uh, interact with each other and interact with your truth with the hope that we might be changed, to be more like Jesus. Uh, do your will in us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well, this year has been uh, weird, to say the least. Things have changed constantly, and uh, Pastor Brian was going to start uh, a series on the book of Acts, and uh, in God's providence, uh, he and Laura, I believe that it's time for them to, to move home. I, I hope you all saw in the email, Laura's mom did pass away uh, Thursday night, and so um, they'll probably be traveling this week uh, to go back for the funeral. Um, but we have a few weeks uh, until summer and decided to uh, revisit, uh, spend a few weeks with Job. And uh, it's fitting. Uh, Job always brings perspective in hard times. And uh, he always brings much needed wisdom and always brings encouragement. Uh, not always easy encouragement, but good encouragement. And so I wanted to spend a little time. Uh, I, we, we actually spent some time in Job in Sunday school about 10 years ago. And so I think it's time to spend a little bit more and do some review. Now, it's a big book, and we can't look at everything. And that's okay. So um, I'm going to be gone one week in May. But other than that, I think we've got about five weeks left before our summer break. And so um, we're going to look. I, I want to spend some time at the beginning of Job. And then we'll fast forward to the end and spend a little time in the last few chapters. Uh, that's our goal. Today, I just want to do some introduction, some background. Uh, introduce uh, the main character, Job. Uh, so before we do that, let's um, read the first five verses of the book of Job. Uh, Job 1, 1 to 5. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page 417. Right there uh, in the middle of your Bible, pretty, pretty close to the middle. This is God's word. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go out and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the day, days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Well, our, my goal this morning as we introduce Job and what's going on is really just to, to say a few things. One is Job was a, a real man who lived sometime 
around the time of the patriarchs. What do I mean by patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Good. Or Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, good. Uh, and that though he was not sinless, Job sincerely sought after God and understood his need for a redeemer. That's just really all I want to accomplish this morning. It's not a very ambitious task. But I'm curious, what do you think of when you think of Job? Suffering. Suffering. Okay, good. And patience. And patience. Yeah, suffering and patience. Strength of, Strength of character. Good. Okay. Yeah, Mom? Good. God fearing. I like that. Yeah. John, Butchie. <laughs> Being tested beyond our comfort zones and understanding. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting choice of words, bold, but yes, a man willing <laughs> to question God to his face. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget about those last few chapters, don't we? Yeah. Um, okay, good. Job is, you know, one of those books, right? It, it, it is on certain levels very dear to many. Um, why do you think this book is so dear to so many people? Because we all suffer. Yeah, good. Any other reasons? Because we don't know why we suffer. Mm. Good. Helps us to struggle with those questions of why. Yeah. Because yeah, because it helps us to see how powerful and sovereign God is in the midst of pain and suffering. Good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I could say that. I, you, know, Job seems to have the spiritual gift of sarcasm, which is great because I do. No, I mean just uh, some of his responses. You, you, whoa. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think all of those reasons are are, are um, one reason why this book is so special. And yet, it's interesting that that a lot of people, I think, are, are content to be familiar with this book from a safe distance. Uh, who's ever seen uh, the play God's Favorite? Okay, maybe not. It's, a, it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek version of Job that, that, that I think allows us to engage the story from, a, from a, a humorous safe distance and not really feel the pain. Um. And I think that misses the point. So what is the main point of this book? Butchie? God's sovereignty. Okay, there's one possibility. Others? Okay. Um, Clearly... Sovereignty is an issue. Clearly, pain and suffering are our issues, never far from the surface. Uh, and that leads a lot of people to wrestle with the subject. It's, uh, the big word is called theodicy. Anybody know what theodicy is? 
Yeah, it's, it's the problem of suffering, the problem of pain, the problem of evil, right? How do we deal with this issue? How do we deal with it? Uh, and while de- this is definitely the context, it's not necessarily the main theme or point, but it needs to be thought about and addressed. Um, but if you had to summarize the singular message of the book of Job, how would you do it? Could you do it in a sentence or two? I wonder. Yeah, Lori? Interesting. So learning to trust the Lord despite what? The world. Despite the world. Interesting. Good. I like that. Okay. God uses hardship to mold people. That there, there, There's an intentionality to, to what God is doing. I like that. Okay, good. Good. Well, hopefully by the time we're done uh, with this short series, we'll be able to, to, to summarize some of these things well. Um, uh, another way of, of getting at this is asking, um, what's the purpose of this book? Or, or why is it recorded? Why is it in our Bible? It's fun sometimes to ask, you know, why did God, choose, out of all the things God could have done, you remember what John says at the end of his gospel? He says, I suppose if all the things Jesus did were recorded, all the books of the world couldn't contain them, but these things were recorded so that you might know, that you might believe in and believing have life, right? That, that God yeah, you know, we think the Bible's a big book, but it's not really when you think about it for for trying to convey what God thinks most important for us to know. Why does this make it in? Why is it profitable for us to read? And I as I said, I definitely think this relates to the problem of evil, the problem of pain, the problem of suffering. Uh, and and the vindication of God's goodness and God's providence and his sovereignty. Um what are some of the typical approaches that that you might hear uh, inside, outside the church, around uh, on on how we account for suffering and evil in the world? Okay, so okay, right. So so there's the question that that suffering is incompatible with the idea that that God is and he is good and he is loving. In other words, if God was good and loving, then I wouldn't suffer. Okay. Who 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 tends to make that argument? Okay. Yeah. This tends to be the unbelieving response, right? That the idea of a good and loving God is incompatible with my experience. Because if there was a good and loving God, right? I would not go through what I'm going through. What's wrong with that view? Okay. It, so one problem of that view is it fails to see an intentionality uh, and usefulness of suffering. Okay. Right. Okay, good. Anything else? Okay. Okay. So, are you saying that that's part of like the unbelieving view, or that this is a different? That's another view, right? Um, okay. Mr. Protzman. There's actually 
Yes. So there's, there's a lot of Christians, the, the temptation gets into, God doesn't want me to suffer. When I do, it's because I keep bungling things up. And, and if I could just stop uh, getting in God's way, all suffering and pain would be removed from my life. And so, so there is, uh, so suffering and, and pain then for a lot of Christians becomes evidence that I'm somehow outside of God's will because if I was in God's will, suffering and pain would be removed from me, right? And so, so our suffering will proves that there's sort of this antagonism between us and God that if we can just identify and remove, that will remove the, the pain and the suffering. Right, you have to deal with exactly. Okay, so so another so one response is God can't exist because if He did, I wouldn't suffer. Uh, another response is uh, He doesn't want me to. It's my fault. I keep messing things up. Good. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Neither, just so that God might be glorified. Right. Yeah. Uh there, there are people who claim to be Christians, um, like uh, Clark Pinnock and Boyd, and uh, they do openness theology. And theirs is, God doesn't want us to suffer. He just can't stop it. He's suffering along with us. Uh, it's, it's not that he wouldn't stop it if he could. He just can't. And so this is, uh, this is called the openness of God theology, which is... Uh, it, it tries to maintain God's goodness by denying his power and his sovereignty, which I don't think actually defends God's goodness, but that is how some people try to deal with it. Uh, yeah, Ewain. Harold Kushner, I can't remember what his solution was. That m- okay, it... It might be. It might be. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, Harold Kushner, why bad things happen to good people. Okay, it might be. Yeah, it could possibly be. Um, okay. Um, now, all of these sort of run into a problem, not in, in the five verses we read, but shortly after, we're going to run into a problem with all of these approaches to suffering. Anybody know what that problem is in the book of Job? God allows it to happen. You can even go a little bit further. Well, yeah, but that's under the surface, definitely. But there's this big problem with this kind of helpless view of God or you know, this unintentional. Who brought Job up? Mm-mm. God does. God says to Satan, what have you been doing? I've been roaming the earth. Really? Have you seen my servant Job? Okay, when God's having a conversation with Satan, I don't want my name brought up. By either party, right? Like, I don't need the attention. Um, I will keep my head down. If you're looking for me, I'll be under my desk, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
But all these ideas that God is outside of this miss the, the thing that this all starts with a question from God. Hey, have you seen my servant Job? Let's talk about him. You're thinking, really? But this all starts with him. And that is, that, that runs a huge problem into all these ideas that just try to you know, remove God from, and his sovereignty from all of this, is this is all his doing in, 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 in that sense. Okay, that's a problem. Um, I think a lot of people assume Satan brings Job up in this book. And he doesn't. He doesn't come around and say, hey, I've been thinking... You know, um, that's not it. God had a reason for bringing Job up. And we're going to get into that, Lord willing, uh, next time. Um, But we do have to wrestle with that. And that forces us to go deeper and realize that this all happens according to God's will and plan. He's not backed into a corner. He's not caught off guard. He is in control from the beginning. He has a plan for Jacob, I'm sorry for Jacob, for Job, and he intended for us to learn something from it, which is why it's recorded in the scriptures. Not everybody's trials throughout throughout history are recorded. These are for our benefit. And so as as we uh, see the main theme of Job, uh, or, or what we will see is that it's a call to the church to an unreserved commitment and dedication to God as God, despite our circumstances in life uh, before watching the world, that we, that we maintain an unreserved commitment to God as God, despite whatever this life and this world throw at us. Um, that's what we're going to see. And that really comes into focus in the final chapters. But, but uh, we don't want to forget the most important purpose of, of any book in Scripture. What's the most important purpose of any book in Scripture? Butchie. There you go. The teaches who God is, right? Because everything we're called to do is meaningless if we don't know who God is. We can only live our lives in a meaningful way in response to who God is. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, we, we never want to forget that the Bible is God's story and that, that Job is here in large part to teach us about God. And, and one, one of the ways we're going to see that is, is all this suffering uh, that Job endures and the false accusations and things like this are really preparing us uh, in large measure for what? Okay, for heaven, but how? Don't skip the steps. Show your work. <laughs> yeah, bring us to Christ. But who else would suffer unjustly, endure false accusations, and yet somehow through all of that bring glory to God? God himself would in Jesus Christ, right? In other words, God isn't just saying, get ready, you're going to have to suffer. He's saying, get ready, I'm willing to enter into your reality and to bear it with you. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's there to teach us in large part 
uh, about what Jesus would go through. Um, Because it is the suffering of Jesus that gives us a way to understand our suffering in a way that makes sense with a God who is good and just and kind and loving and merciful. And so the book of Job is, is first and foremost about God. And, and it helps us understand our own lives and realities in light of who God is as those who belong to him. So um, let's uh, try to talk a little bit about background. Um, what's a genre? Sorry? Type of literature? Uh, only literature? Well, right. Uh, it, it's, it's a type usually of something artistic, right? So music has genres. Uh, painting has genres. Sculpture, uh, definitely literature, absolutely. Uh, it's how we group uh, those things into smaller subgroups with things they have in common, right? Um, so... Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, it, it's the style, the flavor, right? So in other words, uh, it's one thing if somebody says, do you like music? It's another thing if they say, what kind of music do you like? Right? Does rap belong in country? No, no it does not. <laughs> that is mixing two genres that should not be mixed. I like ketchup. I like ice cream. They don't go together. Okay, so right. Uh, so, so genre is, is yeah, a smaller style or, or classification. Good. Um, so, uh, the Bible. When I, I'm afraid to say this out loud, but the Bible is literature. It's okay. It's not simply literature. It's not man-made, but it is written communication. What kind is it? What's its genre? It's multiple. Right? What are some of the different genres within Scripture? Poetry. Poetry. Good. What else? History, right? The, the, uh, the five books of Moses, Joshua, these are historical. Kings and Samuel, right? These are historical. Good. What else? Narrative. Typically goes with historical. Good. Absolutely. Wisdom, right? Good. Prophetic, right? We have the prophets. Good. Apocalyptic, yep. Absolutely. There's one or two more. How about like the letters? Yes. Do you know what we call those? Yeah, letters is easier than epistolary. That's just, yeah, I know. Letters, yeah, good. Gospels, which typically go with narrative and history. But, uh, but there is a subset of, of narrative and history which is gospel and, and, and that uh, has been described as uh, passion narratives, death narratives with long introductions. <laughs> I like that. Uh, good. Butchie? Uh, no. So the good. Okay. So uh, law. Somebody did say poetry. Good. Yeah. Great. These are genres, right? So what, what genre is Job? Everybody's looking at the outline. Cheaters. Historical. 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, but uh, good. Historical wisdom. Interesting. That's a nice... Uh, uh, the temptation often is to say it's poetry because mo- the beginning is narrative, the end is narrative, but the, the vast majority of the book uh, of Job is, is actually recorded in, in poetic verse. All the all the discussions between uh, Job and, and his friends, right? I know we have to do the air quotes, um, right? I think it's wisdom. What is wisdom literature? Huh. Definitely is. So it's God's wisdom being passed down so that we might learn to think like he thinks. Good. I think we can go uh, a bit farther as well. But yeah, I like that. It's God's wisdom being passed down to us. Good. Instructive. Instructive. Good. Butchie? Interesting. It has to do with the fear of the Lord. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I think biblical wisdom is often miscategorized or confused with earthly wisdom. So what's, uh, how do people tend to define earthly wisdom? How do they distinguish it from knowledge? Experience, Experience. good. Mr. Gork? <coughs> okay, proper application of the knowledge, good. Okay. Yeah, they, they, they usually talk about wisdom isn't stuff you learn in books. It's stuff you learn from life, right? How life works. Okay. What's the problem with defining biblical wisdom that way? Okay, go beyond that. I mean, push, push that farther. Why, why, why does that come into conflict? If all truth is God's truth. Well, we're fallen, so we have a, even though Christ, or Paul says we've been given the mind of Christ, and therefore be renewed in that, um, we still have to battle the, un, uh, you know, like the, the consummation hasn't happened yet, so we're still battling the effects of sin. We can't see clearly. Okay. Okay, good. This is pro- deals with problems or sin, things like that. Good. What else? <laughs> That's it right there. Because the wisdom that you learn in this life is limited to this life, and biblical wisdom says some things are more important and you can't see them. So, biblical wisdom says you sometimes have to act out of accord with the, with your experience in, in your life because someone says, trust me, that's foolish. And so, so earthly wisdom doesn't teach you to, to operate in terms of eternity. It, it, it tells you, does this work? And, and so sometimes the Bible is wrestling with cheating will get me ahead and make me, help me provide better. And the Bible says, doesn't matter. Because there are things more important than getting ahead and providing. 
And you need to not simply function according to what your life has taught you. In fact, you need to put your experience into check with God's word. And so biblical wisdom is learning to live in accord with God's word regardless of what your circumstances tell you. And that's the difference between earthly wisdom and biblical wisdom. And Because if Job simply looked at his circumstances and said, what works, would he respond in the way God wants him to? No. So the book of Job is actually saying, regardless, and that's what his friends keep doing. They're like, look, we've been around, we've seen how life works, and here's what we're telling you. And he's saying, life is more than what you see. Uh, Biblical wisdom uh, is learning to live according to God's word despite your circumstances and experience. Uh, To not see as the world sees. And so this goes back to what Elder Butchie was saying earlier. It has to do with fear. When, When the Bible defines wisdom or characterizes wisdom, more often than not, it says it is the fear of the Lord. Right, right. Think about Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline, right? Uh, or di- instruction. Ecclesiastes. The end of the matter when all has been heard is this. Fear God and keep his commandments, right? This is, this is the testimony of biblical wisdom. Fear God and follow him. Uh, because the world will call you to fear man, fear the elements, trust your senses. Listen to your heart, right? Do what works, what's practical, but, but biblical wisdom says, ignore all of that if it's out of accord with what God says. And that's hard. It is really, really, really hard to trust God when all your experience and senses are saying do something else. It, the book is poetically arranged. It has, it has a narrative beginning and end. Um, but to say something's poetic doesn't mean... For, it doesn't mean two things. First of all, it doesn't mean that Job and his friends, when they sat down, spoke together in poetry. You know, it... it uh, it, it, Is it anything but yeah, yeah, right, right. But yeah, it, it wasn't that they just kind of you know, you know, spontaneously erupted in poetry, like 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 you know, movies where you know the guy and the girl sing, and then all of a sudden one starts singing. You know, it's yeah. It, it, so no, it doesn't mean that they actually spoke in poetry, and it doesn't mean that it didn't actually happen. So why would it be recorded in poetry if it actually happened and they didn't actually speak in poetry? Any thoughts? Because it was an oral society and it was easier to remember. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was easier to pass on from generation to generation. We, we learn poetry better. We memorize it. It sinks into our bones. Um, right? Uh, and... <laughs> we, Steve and I uh, had breakfast Friday morning... And we come out of out of the restaurant, and there's a heating and cooling place right next, and they've got this 
roses are red, violets are blue poem up on their little marquee, and it's totally out of meter and everything. And that just Steve's like, they should have said this. But but the idea, I mean, why did they use roses are red, violets are blue? Because they thought it would be catchy, people would remember, and they'd come back. I mean, we, it sinks in until Steve critiques it and tells them that they did it wrong. Um, but yeah, it was meant to, to, to be remembered and passed on. Um, we don't know who wrote it. Um, we don't know when. We have a pretty good guess. Any guesses on, on when it was written? Or, or at least when it took place? Seems to be contemporary with uh, Abraham or Isaac and, and, and Jacob around that we call the patriarchs. And there's a few reasons for this. One is his wealth is gauged in terms of livestock, which was common back then. He lived to be around 200 years old, which was common back then. Um, and, um, uh, and he is offering sacrifices. There is no established priesthood at the time, which would, would suggest well before the time of Moses. So those are the things that, that tell us that this is about when it took place. Um, and... and uh, and so that's 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 our good guess. Um, but pr- maybe recorded later on uh, for Israel to to think about and learn. Um, but let's talk about how it all begins. Um, the first thing we hear in verse one is that he was blameless and upright, that he feared God and he turned away from evil. And it's explained greater in verses 2 and 3. What do you think it means? Uh, Job is clearly doing what God's called him to. Uh, uh, Even if he doesn't have uh, the law of Moses yet, he knows what God told Adam, right? Fill the earth and subdue it. Well, he's got ten kids. He's filling the earth. He's... uh, Got thousands of livestock. He's he's you know he's farming. He's doing things right. So um, he's 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 doing that. But what do you think it means that he is blameless and upright? Is he sinless? No. How do you know that? Okay. Blameless is from our perspective would be he's forgiven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're yeah, absolutely. I mean, good. Somebody else, I thought, as I see, Butchie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and we don't. In, in a sense, we we can look at Job's life. God rebukes him at the end. <laughs> um, Job blows it. Beyond that, Job offers sacrifices regularly. Uh, it tells us specifically for his kid, but the idea there is he just knows that we're sinful and that we don't always know our sins. He's, you know, uh, Job is attentive to the reality of sin. But yeah, I think it means a couple of things. One, one, forgiven. Two is, um, comparatively, he's a respectable man. Um, uh, we have that, those qualifications, right? An elder has to be blameless, and that doesn't mean sinless. 
Um, it just means that, that we have a higher expectation that, and that he deals with sin when it comes, right? And that he takes obedience seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that doesn't mean he's without sin. And we're really, uh, in just a few weeks, when we get to the end of the book, we're going we're gonna to see some of that in um, very, very uh, clear terms. There's, there's, no, I, there's no insinuation in this book that he is without sin. He's mindful of those. Um, I think really two things are going on. One is, 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 is it's comparing him to his contemporaries, saying that he's very serious about following God. But I think also it's trying to lay a foundation that because he's about to suffer greatly. And, and, and it's, it wants to be very careful to go in saying, this isn't because his, his suffering more than his neighbors is not because he's more sinful than his neighbors. It's establishing a disconnect between his suffering and his sin and saying, one does not cause the other. That's not what's going on. And it's going to force us to wrestle with his suffering for other reasons rather than simply what all his friends say, just find your sin that's causing it and repent. That's what they keep telling him. Right? And 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 that as much as that wisdom is re- rebuked in this book, you will hear it a lot in the church today. You will hear it a lot on, on, on the lips of well-meaning Christians. That is, it is so easy. That's how we think. We do it to ourselves. God, what did I do to cause this? Because I will say I'm sorry and I will repent. And we, we, that, there's that temptation to say, if I can just figure out what sin is. And the book starts very carefully saying, you're going to see a lot. Let's be clear right here. It's not because he was more sinful than his friends. In fact, Job is the most upright man in the land and he will suffer more than any other. Which might be leading somewhere. Like how a sinless man can suffer more than all of sinful humanity in Jesus Christ. And that's really um, where this is all headed is it's trying to help us to see deeper purposes in suffering than simply retribution for sin, than punishment for sin. And beloved, we need to figure that out. If every time hardship comes into our life, all we think is, God's punishing me for some sin, I have to figure out what that is, and then everything will be better, we will completely miss what God is doing. That is the very idea that is, is rejected over and over and over in this book. And it can't account for the cross of Jesus Christ. We have, to, we have to be able to see more and it can't account for all the pain in your life. Job is going to serve as a picture of one who suffers even though he's blameless and upright. And as such, he's a picture of the one who is to come who truly is sinless. Not just compared to others, but, but perfectly so. He's a picture of Jesus. And, and, and we're going to see that God can do so much through the suffering of one who did not deserve it, did not bring it onto himself. The book will, will be careful to point out Job's suffering so that we don't confuse him with the Messiah. 
right? So the Bible, the Bible uses sinful people to be pictures of Jesus, you know, Moses and, and David and Joseph and Job and, you know, uh, and Solomon. But, but the Bible is always very careful to say, just so you don't think that this is actually the, the real Savior, let, let me show you some, some serious failures. Um, but he's going to teach us a lot about that. Because the book of Job is all about trusting the Lord when our earthly wisdom tells us to call it quits. It's all about honoring God above all else and bringing every thought captive to his truth and his word. And it's about living in accord to God's word even when we don't understand what's going on. Trusting him more than we trust our own wisdom, our own senses, and our own ideas of what ought to be. But more than that, it's about Jesus who will ultimately come and suffer for our sakes, though he had done no wrong. And that means that in a very real sense, Job is suffering because of Jesus, because he belongs to Jesus and that will help us understand our own suffering as part of belonging to Jesus. So that's where we're headed. Um, in the weeks ahead, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think it's a wonderfully helpful and encouraging book. But any, any thoughts, questions, um, just about our introduction um, before, we, before we close for the morning? Mr. Gorick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely, yeah. And this is common back then. So Abraham does the same thing, right? And Jacob and, Esau, uh, uh, Jacob and Isaac, you know, they, the father, prior to the establishment of the, of the full-time priesthood under Aaron, that would fall on the fathers to do for their families, right? Um, but yeah, there is that movement all towards the ultimate priest who, while he offers one sacrifice, because it's sufficient. You know, he, one of the reasons priests had to offer sacrifices over and over and over, over again because they were insufficient to truly solve the problem, right? Jesus offers the sacrifice that truly can solve the problem. But Hebrews goes on and says, but he ever lives to make intercession for us. And, um, and that we, we know that he continues to press the benefits of his sacrifice for our account. And so there is that continual reality. In fact, I think it's best translated that his life is a continual intercession, I think what the writer of Hebrews is saying is because he was raised, it's proof that he had no sin and his sacrifice was... And so his life is the intercession that for, for it to stop being effective, he has to stop being alive as long as he's alive. So this is just beautiful. I love, I love how Hebrews does that. Yeah. Okay. Any other thoughts, questions, comments before we uh, close our time in prayer?
I, you know, I, Lord, say something, right? Yeah, I know. And, and then, um, uh, and then it's Elihu who first comes and, and brings the rebuke, and uh, and 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 then, and then, uh, you know, getting ahead of ourselves. But then the Lord brings the rebuke, and then the Lord turns to the three, you know, and says, "You better ask Job to intercede on your behalf." <laughs> so now their only hope is the intercession of the one they mocked. Yeah. Now he, yeah, it was so good. So good. Okay, let's close in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you for uh, meeting with us and allowing us to come into this word. We thank you for recording it for us and preserving it. For these are questions that we have. These are struggles we wrestle with. Teach us to find joy and contentment in your answers. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.